table friends, how are y'all? Excellent, welcome to November. It is November around here and that can only mean one thing. That's right, it's No Shave November. Yeah, as you can see, I have not let a razor touch my face uh, really since Sunday. I had a wedding Sunday, so I actually shaved first, second, third, fourth. But this is since Monday, so I've, I've got it coming out. I'm participating in No Shave November. Jason's participating in No Shave November. Isaac, are we going to get you participating in No Shave November? I don't know if you're in the room. Isadora said she's participating in No Shave November. Not, no legs, right? Okay, so here's the thing. I'll just kind of make you guys this deal. Listen, if you don't shave, okay, guys, you can shave the neck, okay? Girls, you can shave the underarm situation, but listen... If, if you will just, if you will participate in No Shave November, December 1st, okay, if you'll let me know I participated, right, uh, you know, I just, I need, I need some kind of, like, very appropriate demonstration, okay, like, send it, you know, guys, a, a, a beard pic, right, you can, like, send that, or you can come see me, or whatever, uh, or girls, you can take a picture of the ankles that are all, like, hairy ankles at that point, right, uh, if you guys could just let me know, I'll, I'll take, anyone who gets through it, I'll take you out to, to lunch or coffee or dinner, okay? Like, we'll just kind of go as a group, all right? So, gauntlet is thrown down. Matt, Matty Mason's already started. Like, he's like, I'm shaving the head, but not the beard. That's coming out right now. And so, if you guys want that, feel free to join me in that. Um, I grow my beard out every year, uh, and I don't shave from November 1st until, like, until actually my staff tells me it's okay to shave. Last year, I went, like, six months, and so I was looking really bearded, right? Like very bearded, so it was awesome. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Ephesians chapter 4. We're starting at verse 17. If you don't have Bibles, that's fine. If you want to look it up on the internet, you can look it up, Ephesians 4, starting verse 17. We have been in um, a multi-week study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, and if you've never studied Ephesians 4, if this is your first time, welcome. If you're a guest or maybe you're not a believer, you're a new believer, you're someone who's trying to check things out here today, here's the summary of this letter to the Ephesians. There are six chapters as it kind of lays itself out or six blocks of it. The first half of this, the first three chapters are we are saved by grace. The Christian idea of being saved by grace, not by works. We don't work ourselves towards Jesus Jesus saves us, and then we start to go to work on ourselves. That's the first half, saved by grace. To walk this way is the second half of the letter, which is where we are. Uh, because we're saved by grace, we walk this particular way. And for the last couple of weeks, we've just been going into pretty microscopic detail about what it means to walk as a Christian. Uh, and so to set all this up, because we're going to continue on in a pretty... Uh, a substantial conversation about what it means to walk as a believer. To set all this up, I'll just kind of remind you of this um, with this story. You, you guys, I think, have heard this if you've been around us for a while. You know that in 2015, it was a really crazy year for my family. My mother-in-law passed away. Uh, my wife was pregnant with our son, and she had a, a kind of a rough pregnancy. And right in the middle of all of that, I was playing basketball, and it was one of those things where it was like the last game, and I knew I should go home. But, you know, the guys are like, hey, one more game. And I'm like, yes, one more game. And so I went up to catch a ball, and I landed, and my knee went like that. And, like, I blew my knee out and had to have really long surgery. And when I came out of surgery, the doctor came up to me, and he was like, yeah, your basketball days are over. 
You're probably never going to run again. Uh, let's just hope through physical therapy and rehab we can get you to walk again. And I was like, okay. Like, thank you. I just regained consciousness. Thank you for that bit of positivity as, we, as I enter back into the real world. Thank you, doctor. Um, and so what followed from there was about a six-month process. Three months of it, I was bedridden. And then the next three months, I had to learn to walk again. And really, that three months was me learning how to uh, the basics of walking so that I could then spend the next 18 months actually learning how to walk again after that. So I moved to Orlando in 2016, and you can talk to people who are here. I was still learning how to walk in 2016 because what was happening is I was, you know, I was in this like brace where my knee, I mean, my leg was just straight and I'd have the crutches. And so I would have to walk like this, like this. And so when I lost them, that's how I knew how to walk. So I'd just be like, hey guys, totally cool. Like I would... I would sometimes get real tired, and so when I had the straight leg, I would, like, do this thing, like that, right? And I would, like, walk, and people are like, that dude's gangster. Wow, look at him. He's just not even afraid, like, to just, you know, do this thing right here. Anyway, uh, but that wasn't gangster. I just, I didn't know how to walk yet, and so I had to learn, like, I, I would go to these physical therapy things, and they would say, push from the buttocks, right? Don't lean towards your leg. You have to push off with the buttocks and bend your knee. And so I'd have to like overstep like this. Like it was the craziest thing in the world. Um, it, if you've ever seen anybody who doesn't know how to use their arms when they walk, that was me. I was like, is it same leg or, or is it opposite? I don't know. Like I just could not figure out how to do this. This is something I learned when I was a kid and I'm having to relearn to walk again. The intricate details. And it was something I knew all of my life how to walk. I was a competitive runner. I knew how to do all this stuff. But having to learn to do this all over again, now as a 35-year-old man, it was disorienting. And uh, it was strange for me to have to think about all of these steps and to do those, those rhythms over and over again until it seemed natural. And this is a little bit of what Paul is talking about now as he's talking to Christian believers on the fine-tuned things of how to walk as a Christian. Remember, when Jesus is teaching on the Christian uh, way. He's largely talking to these people who are walking between point A and point B, and he's walking in between these points and talking to them and saying, you know how we're walking right now, right? We're walking between these cities. Well, life and your spiritual journey is a lot like a walk. And so let's talk about how you should be walking, right? What is the best way? What's the most helpful way as a human being to walk, understanding the reality of spirituality? And this is what Paul is saying. Hey, we're going to talk about some fine-tuned details of how to walk here. This is what your life may want to look like if you want to achieve health and happiness and the things that God has for you. And so that's what we're going to dive into here today. But before we do that, can I invite you to pray with me one more time just as we get ready? Jesus, um, as we open up your word, I pray that you would speak through the Apostle Paul and speak through me and help us to just really understand what you have for us here today. I thank you for everyone who's gathered. I thank you for this room. I thank you for Jason and the band and Keani and all those guys. And pray that just as we gather and as we try to understand here, that you would meet us and make it meaningful um, and engaging. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to turn your attention, if you got one, to a bulletin. It's going to be super helpful. There's going to be a lot that we're writing about. And so if you're a person who takes notes today, this is great. You're going to love this. If you're not someone who takes notes, I might encourage you to take notes because there's going to be some stuff you may want to think about later. If you don't want to take notes, it's fine. You're adults. Do what you want to do. I don't care. Here we go. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4. 
Verse 17, Paul writes, Now, I say, uh, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And don't, don't be freaked out by this language. We'll go back and talk about this in a little bit. I'm just going to read through it and we'll get back. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth, uh, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that it is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Now, that is a lot of text. And so I just want to walk through this kind of chunk by chunk and try to explain what I think Paul is trying to say to us here. Because, again, uh, I think it's going to be really meaningful and impactful for all of us, no matter where you're coming from. So a couple of things I want you to notice. Uh, the big one in the first section here, he's trying to address this question. It's a question that's going to be either on your screen or in your bulletin. And it's, what is the difference between the world and the church? Because Paul basically says, don't be like the world and all that stuff. Instead, I want you to walk like the church walks. Well, what does is, what is the Christian notion of the world and the Christian notion of the church mean? When Paul uses the term the world, he's not using it pejoratively. Uh, like sometimes Christians do this where they'll use sacred secular terms and they'll be like, hey, do you listen to music? You're like, yeah, I listen to music. You're like, do you listen to secular music? No, I just listen to sacred music. Yeah, secular music's the worst, right? Right, and you just kind of use those terms. Do you watch movies? Do you watch Christian movies or do you watch secular movies, right? Oh, we don't watch the movies influenced by the world, right? Kind of those terms. Paul doesn't have that, that kind of dichotomy in mind. When he means the world, he just means the, the way of the world, the kind of broader baseline, lowest common denominator philosophy, which undergirds the way that broader culture thinks. Uh, if Paul were writing to Orlando, he would say, don't live by the general culture of Orlando. I mean, it has some positives to it. Uh, there's some negatives for sure, but in general, I don't think that's going to be the most helpful way to live. Instead, remember that Christians are to be people set apart from the broader thoughts of the world. Right? There's a, there's, there's a superior, and, and not in a domineering sense, but there's just a better way to live, and it's the Christian way. So as you're thinking about setting forth your plan for life, go ahead and make some assumptions that are Christian before you carry all this out. Don't, on the other hand, make some assumptions that are just broadly generic and worldly because that's obviously not going to lead to maybe your best life. And so that's what he means. So given all of that, what then is the difference between the world, as Paul understands it, and the church, the, the gathered people of Christianity uh, as Paul understands it. And here's, what, here's basically the, the summary there. So in the world, uh, there, are, uh, there is callousness 
which produces hardened hearts and darkened minds. And that's what he says there in um, verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And so he uses those three terms, callous, darkened, uh, hardened. And basically what he's saying is callousness is descriptive of what goes on in the broader worldly culture. There's just a callousness about it. And that callousness affects the heart in one way and the mind in one way. These are two central uh, ways in which human beings think. There's, th- there's thinking with your mind and there's thinking with your heart. So let me just kind of explain those two things. And up here I have uh, an apple and orange and no doubt some of you are going, why does he have that up there? Is he going to snack later on? Why did he not snack beforehand? Did he not know he was going to be up to speak? This is kind of lazy of him to bring it up there. Furthermore, I haven't eaten yet. Why are you enticing me with that fruit? It looks good, right? Maybe that's what some of you are thinking. Right, so just for whatever reason, I'm going to say the apple represents your brain slash mind, although the organ is not so closely associated with the invisible quality here. But we'll just say this is your mind, and the orange is your heart, okay? And we're in Florida. Uh, excuse me. We're in Florida, and so... Oranges are the heart of Florida, so whatever. Anyway, right? So here's what he's saying. Everybody thinks with these invisible things that are kind of internal to a human being. Everyone thinks with their mind and with their heart. Some of us, and you guys know this, are more heart people than mind people. And some of you are more mind people than heart people. Maybe you can think about it as like um, facts versus emotions. Uh, maybe this way of thinking. Or thinking versus feeling. You hear this in the Myers-Briggs context. Like, so here's me. I, I'm a this kind of person. Before I ever get to this, I'm thinking about it with my mind. So any of you know this. If you come up to me with good news, you're like, hey, I just got a job. You know that the, what I'm going to say first is like, mm. I'm like registering. I'm like in the context of your life. What does this mean? Is this significant on a scale of like zero to ten? Is it a factor of eight? Okay, so I should have an emotion that is appropriate for that thing right there. Okay, all right. And then as it goes through here, it's like, oh, and I'm like, yay, right? I'm like the sloth from uh, Zootopia. It just takes me a while to let that, that thought filter down into my heart where it's like boom, boom, and I'm like, cool, right? Sometimes when I have to give emotional reactions, it's very forced, right? If you give me a gift and I don't know if I like it yet, Especially if I don't like it, I'm going to be like, okay, thank you for this gift. And then as soon as you leave, I'm going to be like, I don't know why they gave me a gift. That's like the worst thing you could have done because now I have to emote in front of you like on the spot, right? Maddie's laughing over here because he knows that to be true, right? So that's me. I'm a head person, right? So I tend to think over here and it's, it's not that I only think with this. It just, I have to think with this first. And then I think this, I'm actually a very emotional person. If you've ever been around me, if you know we're watching a movie and there's a father-son dynamic, I'm going to cry. I'm just going to bawl my eyes out. There's certain, certain things that I, I um, get a little bit more balanced and think in my emotions. But the point is, everybody thinks with both of these. Some of you are kind of more this way, right? Some of you are the feelers first, thinkers second. So, for example, someone can give you a gift, and in the moment, you're just like, this is the greatest thing ever. Oh, my goodness, I, I can think of a thousand ways. Thank you. You're hugging everybody like you're in a restaurant. You're hugging the wait staff. You're, like, taking selfies. You're just like, I'm so excited. Hey, this is amazing. And then you go home, and you're thinking about it. You're like, After, you know, on second thought, that was probably the worst gift you could have given me. Like, uh... <laughs> You know, because I just, I have a real problem, uh, you know, just with chocolate and um, 
you just gave me a big bar of chocolate. And, oh, wait, was that person trying to punk me? Oh, no. I've got to really reconsider my priorities. Right? So some of us think first with our emotions, and then we, 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 we think with our mind kind of secondarily. And Paul is just trying to admit up front that everybody uses both of these in some percentage uh, in the way that they make their decisions. And so as, as he's talking about the world, he says, the thing that's true about the world, the broader culture of the, the you know, world around us, is that when it comes to these internal things, they're calloused. And that means that your mind is darkened and that your heart is hardened. And it makes sense. I mean, let me give you this example here. So I just got a whole bunch of like, you know, this is like brawny or whatever, so it can like pick up blood or something. I, that's what the commercials tell me, right? So you, you got the stuff, right? So if I, if I wrap up, you know, this, this apple right here, okay? So I've got this one and I've got this one, right? So we see that it's kind of got something around it. it, it you can imagine in this mind here, if this was like a little tent that you built, right? Like it's a tent, your living room or whatever, and you like went inside of here and like we wrapped you up inside of it, it would be dark, and he's saying, when you, when you live in the way of the world, that's going to actually cause you to be calloused about the way you think. You're going to become skeptical to everything. And a skeptical person by nature is very resistant to spiritual truths or any truths at all. And as a result, their minds are darkened. Skeptical people actually have dark minds. And if you've ever been around skeptical people, they're pretty dark people. Uh, in general, they don't really recognize positive, happy things. And he's saying, this is the way of the world. Anyone who's calloused in their minds, uh, they're gonna, their minds are going to be darkened. Similarly, you take this heart situation here. If I were to wrap it up, right? This is your heart, right? And I was to callous over your heart, okay? Uh, the way you would describe a, a vestigial organ like a heart, it, you, you were to wrap it up in a bunch of skin, it was calloused, you would say that heart would feel very hardened, Okay? You're like, oh man, it's got, I mean, just if I just kept going here, right? Okay? You'd be like, man, that, that heart is actually pretty hard. So this was an orange. If I, you know, threw the orange on the stage, we're going to try this, it would probably not make much of a sound. But now that I've got this around, right? Did y'all hear that? That's a hardened heart. And Paul is saying, in general, in the world, because you just kind of live to the default philosophy of whatever you can pick up that day, it's going to inevitably, without truth coming in, it's going to lead to the hardening of your heart and the callousing, uh, the callousing of your heart to be hardened and the callousing of your mind to be darkened. And this is the way that most of us lived before we became Christians. Um, we just, we weren't open, we weren't receptive to truth, and we were just kind of, I don't know about this. We kind of guarded our emotions. And Paul says, this is the way of the world. And this is not the way we're to live as Christians. Christians actually live a much, much different way. So this is the world. But he says this, in the church, by contrast, people regularly participate in a threefold process. A threefold process. And the process goes like this. You put something off, and you put something on. And in the midst of that, there's this thing called renewal that goes on. So you're putting something off, you're putting something on, and there's this thing called renewal in the very middle of it. And so the three things you can live, uh, put on there is you put off the old, calloused way of thinking. You become renewed by the thinking as Jesus does with both heart and mind. We'll talk about each of these. And you put on new actions and attitudes. So let me, this is on the screen just one at a time. So let's just start with this. First, you put off the old, calloused way of thinking. We can put that on the screen there. Sorry about that, Julia. So what does it mean to put off the old things? Paul, I mean, obviously writes here um, that when you follow Jesus... Verse 
22, or verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. What does he mean by put off the old things? Basically, just carrying this metaphor forward, Jesus says he wants you to examine your own heart and notice how hard it is and see if you can be particular about what each layer of callous is on your heart and see if you can just take it off. Put off anything that's in your way that's causing your heart to feel hardened and to to really think it through and feel it through and begin to strip away all those layers that are keeping you so that what you can do is you can get down to the heart of your heart. And similarly, with your mind, to really think it through, to take off those layers, anything that's keeping your mind darkened, whatever it is, anything that possibly is a stumbling block for you to receive spiritual truth, that you can take that off. Now, once we've taken all of this off, once we've uh, removed all these things, what happens? Well, now our internal things are at the most receptive they could be to spiritual truth. And so when truth comes in, it's not having to like hit this callousness. It can go directly to our mind and directly to our heart. Truth can come in and take root in our mind and take root in our heart and whatever mixture we have there. And it can begin to have its way Uh, changing us from the inside out and molding us into the pattern of Jesus, the way that Jesus thinks, the way that Jesus behaves, the way that Jesus lives. And so renewal happens from there. Now, in addition to the renewal of the mind taking place, it's actually doing something else. Uh, Once truth gets in and starts to affect us from the inside, it begins, it's this funny thing that truth does, it begins to work its way out from our core of our being to our actions, to the way that we treat other people around us. And Paul says, start to put on these new things, okay? And you're going to put on new actions and new attitudes. You're going to put on the new actions and the new attitudes, because it's not just with some things, it's not just new behavior, right? Of course there's new behavior, right? When you start to learn that Jesus is love and you start to understand what love really is and what it isn't, you're obviously going to behave in a loving way towards people. So let me give you an example. Uh, when I lived in Chicago, I used to live in Chicago, uh, I worked at this Starbucks and uh, I was a barista at a Starbucks. And so I'm from Texas, right? So we say y'all and we say ma'am and we say sir. You know, we're just generally good, kind, decent people. But, but these Midwestern Chicagoans in the suburbs, they would come in and I would say, hi, what can I get? You know, welcome to Starbucks. What can I get for, started for you? And like, oh, I want an iced vanilla latte. You're like, okay, cool. One iced vanilla latte. They pay. And I would say, uh, they would say, hey, can you make a modification? And I would say, yes, ma'am. And they would go, they bristle like, mm. their hearts were hardened. And they're like, mm. right. And I, th- this happened a couple times. And I went to my manager, my shift manager. And I was like, why are all these women bristling when I say yes, ma'am? And she was like, oh, you should never say that. And I was like, why? She said, because ma'am is like the ideal of this older woman. And every, every woman here wants to feel younger. So we, we think you should say, yes, miss. And I was like, yeah, that's what I was like. I was like, ooh, why would I do that? I'm a Texan. We are the greatest people on the planet. Why would I ever? And, and she was like, she was like, listen, listen, don't worry about this. Just say, yes, miss. So I started trying it. It's like, can you make a modification? I'd be like, yes, miss. And they'd be like, thank you. So there were two things going on there. There were some behavioral things I had to change given that new information, but there's also an attitude I had to adjust contextually about what I was doing. And so what, what Paul is saying here is, you know, once you remove the layers and the truth starts to get inside, you begin to put on not only the mind of Jesus, the way Jesus thinks, um, the way Jesus feels, 
uh, about things. Once you start to put that on and truth gets in, you're going to adjust some things in your behaviors and your attitudes. Well, this is this has so far been really abstract. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you guys just a tool, like a, just a model for what this looks like. And so on the screen here, you're going to see these two circles. If you have bulletins, you're going to see those two circles. There's a couple of lines in there that you're going to fill in with some things. Let me explain this so that you have on your screen. Um, there's a story that Jesus tells about these two men who built their house on a rock. And uh, basically in the story, an engineer comes in. You guys have heard me say this, right? An engineer comes in and says, you should build your house on a solid rock. And one of the guys says, I hear you. I'm now going to build my house on a foundation of sand, right? And the winds come and the storms come and it blows the house away, right? Okay, I think that image is probably pretty clear to us because of the hurricane coming through like Mexico Beach and things like that, right? It, the, the storm came in and just knocked that house down, right? The other guy heard and said, oh, okay. And he built his house on a rock. And when the rains came and the winds came, it didn't blow his house away. And basically, at the end of this parable that Jesus teaches, he says, listen, it's not people who hear truth that get lifted up here. It's people who put that, they hear truth, and then they do the truth, right? Jesus praises the people who do the truth that they hear. And so there's this connection here, right? Uh, On the one hand, you can see on the right, there's the hearing of things, right? And so you can see that. It'll be on your screen. It's on the far left. Like, I'm hearing things. I'm hearing truth. And we understand just intrinsically, if I hear something that's true, I should start to do that truth. And so on the other side, you have the doing truth. Well, my background is in academia. Um, You know, obviously when I lived in Chicago, I was doing a PhD program. And a lot of my friends are really, really smart academics. And I remember talking to one of my friends, uh, one of my buddies one time, about this whole hearing and doing thing. And um, we were talking about speaking in particular. And the question was, should you make application when you are teaching through the Bible? And he was like, no, you should never make application for a lot of reasons. Number one, it's condescending to your audience. You're basically looking at him going like, yeah, you guys are dum-dums. You don't automatically get this, <laughs> right? And number two, he said, you should make application because it's clear if you just speak truth, people are automatically going to know how to, what to do with that, right? If people are smart, they should leave and they should just be able to automatically understand what to go do with that, which is, in my opinion, a little simplified version of this. Um, and really, I, I took a, again, I bristled at it because, you know, this is me. I was like, right? Uh, and so then later I felt real rage towards him and I went and beat him up. No, just kidding. Um, so, but I, I just tried to point out to him that there's, you know, I think as I walk around with people, even as I try to practice this, like hearing truth and doing truth, I can see how they're loosely connected, but it seems like there's something in the middle, a middle step that really helps us to connect the truth of what Jesus teaches with the way that Jesus lives. And it's the part that Paul's talking about here. Paul says there is kind of going on this middle step and it's the putting on and the putting off and that kind of stuff that goes on. So let me just kind of fill this in for you. So when you hear truth, what Paul is saying is the next thing you should do is begin to put things off. In other words, let me give you this illustration again. You can think about it like this. So this is your mind, right? Or your, yep. So truth is trying to come in, and you hear it, and you're like, oh, there's all this stuff that just seems to be keeping me blocked from this. I'm skeptical. I don't know about this stuff. And Paul says, the first thing you should do is figure out what is it that you're thinking? Where is the gap between this truth and the truth that you understand to be true? Where is the difference between that? See if you can identify it. And once you can identify the wrong area of thinking, Go ahead and just, I mean, just 
take it off, you almost kind of start praying to God. You're like, okay, Jesus, I hear your truth. And I kind of believe this over here, and I can see that they're in a different spot. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm way over here with this, and I'm realizing I need to take this off. So I'm taking this off and laying it down, and I'm coming over to your side of thinking on this issue. And I'm going to be over here because I want a mind and a heart that are as receptive to truth as possible. Once you hear truth, you try to measure the gap between what truth is and what you currently believe, and you put off that wrong way of thinking, feeling about a particular issue. So that's what you put off. Then, once you've done that, you begin to start to go, what do I need to put on so that I can maintain this optimal level of spiritual receptivity in my thinking and my feeling towards Jesus? I'm going to put on the things I need to put on. These different practices, spiritual things that are going to help keep me locked in uh, into the optimal position of spiritual truth. This is way old school because we do everything by antenna now, I mean by uh, internet now, but you know, you used to have like direct TV antennas on your house if you wanted cable satellite or whatever, and sometimes a storm would knock it out and you'd have to reposition the satellite. Anyone remember having to do this before? Where are the old people in the room? Okay, cool. Like all the millennials are on their phones right now literally watching Hulu going, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but, but that's kind of what Paul's saying here is once you're putting things on, you're trying to make sure your life is positioned as an antenna to get the best reception possible from this truth. And here's the thing. The overlap of putting off and putting on the overlap in the middle where they cross over, the thing that helps you to do both of them almost simultaneously is this thing called renewal. And that's what Paul talks about here. He says but, um, in verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, in your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. When Paul uses the term minds here, and he uses it plural, right, he actually means the mind of your brain and the mind of your heart. He means in the mind of your thinking and the mind of your feeling. He means at the core of who you are, what's happening as you are putting off and putting on is this thing called renewal. And thinking about truth, really processing it both mentally and emotionally, having that experience of assessing where your truth is different from God's truth, that whole process is one of the most radical, revolutionary things you could dedicate your life towards because it is at the core, the thing which is going to produce in you the kind of life change that you need in order to function in your maximum self and your healthiest life possible. The, the renewal process is something that you and God participate in as you're putting off old things and putting on new things. And at the corner, the, the center of that is thinking with your brain and with your heart and processing and processing and processing. And in the midst of that, somehow, Jesus does something miraculous to help you transform your life. Your role as a Christian follower is to be about thinking with your mind and your heart in the ways of Jesus, putting on the mind of Christ, putting on the heart of Christ every day in every issue, making sure that it's as close aligned with the way Jesus thinks and feels as humanly possible. And this is what Paul's saying is renewal, the process of renewal. It's the way we walk for the rest of our life. Now, once Paul does this, this is what I love about Paul. He gets super practical here. And he gives us five case studies in how this, what this looks like. And so if it's okay with you guys, I just want to walk through each of the five case studies here. And you guys can see whether this resonates with you. And we're going to look at how Paul demonstrates putting things off, putting things on with renewal at the very middle. You guys ready to walk into that? I had no plan for if you guys were like, no, we want to go right now. I'd be like, oh, well, uh, we're going to do it anyway. So here we go. All right. So notice, 
Paul gives five practical examples of the world becoming the church through the process of renewal. And he's already listed out here. The first one he lists is passive liars. Passive liars. With each of these, there's going to be a calloused idea, a renewal idea, and the believing action that's going to help you to start putting that in the process. So, just to be clear, a liar is, uh, or lying is any time you avoid, deny, obfuscate, circumvent, or redirect a question of truth. How's that for a definition of lying, right? Anytime you obfuscate, you avoid, you redirect, you get around, right? Anytime someone asks you a question of truth and you try to avoid answering it, and generally it's because of this. Here's the callous idea. Truth will offend people. If I answer this thing truthfully, they're going to be offended. And so if someone comes up to you and they're like, you know, it's an election day. Are you for abortion or are you against abortion? And you're like, oh, they know I'm a Christian. They know I need to answer that abortion is murder. Okay, but this could offend people. All right. I know there's all these complicated issues. You know, we got mother's life and we have all these, you know, what if it's a medical emergency? There's all these, okay, what do I do here? And you're like, abortion? Who's ever heard of that? I don't even know how to spell that. Look, a squirrel, right? (laughs) Right? Anytime you know the right answer. Okay, on any issue, or what you think is the right answer, and someone asks you a direct question, and you don't give them a direct answer on that in the most loving way possible. Again, Paul says, speak the truth in love, right? Anytime you do that, this is lying, and it's passive. And what Paul is telling us here is don't be that way. Here's what he says. Therefore, verse 26, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Again, he has in mind... These people around you that you're building relationships with, some of them may be close to Jesus, some of them may be very far away from Jesus, some are seeking, some aren't, right? But they're at some point going to look at you as God's PR person and say, what do Christians believe about this issue, right? And some of them are hard. You don't know the answer. They're like, listen, when the rapture happens, is it going to be mid-trib, pre-trib, post-trib? And you're like, I don't don't know what any of those words mean. Like, I just Googled it. Google doesn't. I use Siri to Google it. Siri doesn't know what it means, right? I went to Amazon Echo, nothing. I asked, hey, Google, nothing. No one knows what anything. The only person that knows what that means is Doug. I'm calling Doug right now, right? Okay, right? There could be those. But I'm talking about like this. Hey, do you, you know, does the Bible say that it's wrong to, to, uh, to steal? And you're like, ugh, ugh. I really want to play Grand Theft Auto later, so I don't know how to answer this. Uh, you're like, what is stealing, right? Anytime you do any of that, that, that's what Paul says, don't do that. Instead, here's the renewal idea. The renewal idea is Jesus is the truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to God. No one has a relationship with God except through me. I'm the way they do that. I'm the truth. And so if people ask you for truth, right, even hard truth, and Jesus is the truth, then here is the believing action. Telling the truth is evangelism. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Did you know that anytime you have an opportunity to tell the truth, it's evangelism? Because you're telling them about Jesus since he's the truth. So if someone asks you a hard question, hey, does the Bible really say that you should honor your father and mother? You're like, I know you have a bad family relationship, but yes, it does. And if they go, oh man, I hate my parents, so this is dumb, I'm not following Jesus, right? You don't have to worry about that because here's the thing. You just gave them Jesus. And that truth is going to go, if they're, if they're careful, it's going to go into their brain or in their heart. And after a while, Jesus is going to start working. And that evangelism is just going to start happening simply from you telling the truth. 
Here's the thing about truth-telling believers who are here today. I'll talk to the Christians. Anytime you tell the truth, it's evangelism. Evangelism is not you standing on a sidewalk with a bullhorn going, hey, you're all going to die and go to hell, right? Now, sometimes that's appropriate, but in most cases, right, this is certainly not the case, right? Evangelism is simply someone asking you for the truth and you telling them about Jesus, right? And you all have friends who ask you awkward questions. Guess what? God's given you plenty of opportunities to practice evangelism every day, and especially in a political year where people ask you all these things and you're like, I don't want to talk about politics. Let's talk about Jesus, right? That's a great, that's not a redirect. That's you wanting to talk about issues of truth. So that's number one. So maybe some of you in here feel a little bit passive, right? People ask direct questions. You see conflict. You're like, "Ah, I don't know about conflict. I'm not saying you should love conflict. The wrong way of thinking is conflict is bad. Never have conflict. The right way of thinking is let's move towards this conflict and let me tell you about Jesus. It's an evangelism opportunity. Number two, or the second one, selfish thieves. Selfish thieves, or selfish thievery, selfish stealing, it's any time you take something from someone that they don't want to give you, right? Pretty basic. Anytime you take something from someone and they didn't have an intent to give it to you, that's stealing. And that works on a number of levels about lots of different things, right? So here's the calloused idea. The calloused idea is my needs are the most important. In the world, my needs are the most important. You get yours. It's me against the world. Sorry, I'm going to get mine. I don't care about you guys. Y'all do whatever. The renewal idea is that Jesus will provide for all of my needs. And in Matthew 6, 34, Jesus says, look at the lilies of the field, look at the birds of the air. All their stuff is taken care of. How much more will I take care of people? Right? Uh, In fact, he uh, ends that with, um, sufficient in the King James, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. In other words, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow's going to worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble its own. But here's, here's the thing. You don't need to worry about what you're going to get, what you're going to receive. I'm Jesus. I'll provide. I'll take care of you. And so if you take off the calloused idea that get mine is the only way to go, and instead you put on the Jesus idea and let that germinate deep within your heart and in your mind, then that puts you in position to start putting on something new. And here's the new thing you could put on. Here's the believing action. God loves by giving Jesus, so I'm going to be a giver. In John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so the practice that you can begin putting on is to practice giving. The best thing you can do if you're someone who's passive and afraid of conflict is to practice evangelism. Okay? It's going to get you to put on the good things. The best practice you could practice as someone who uh, steals a lot uh, is to practice being generous. Now, I just want to make sure I say this up front. Paul says this, the thieves among you, yeah, you guys should start practicing and being generous. I want you to notice that Paul doesn't assume that there are no thieves in the room. And this, he's talking to Christians here. I think we have this idea, just as an aside, I think we have this idea that if you follow Jesus, you're going to be the squeaky clean person. And that is clearly not the way Paul understands things. He says, people who follow Jesus come from all aspects of life. All, we, we tend to go all the whole of the sins in the world. That's just like outside the church. Inside the church, it's squeaky clean. No, Paul assumes all the full range of sin is present right here among Christians, right? What makes Christians different is not that they don't have sin among them. It's that Christians have sin among them, but they also have the answers. They also have the antidote, which is Jesus. And so Paul is saying this, hey, you know, brother in Christ, are you stealing from people? Yeah, don't do this anymore. Instead, practice generosity. The best way to undermine, uh, to, to cripple the problem of greed is to practice generosity. Just start giving things away and watch God provide for you and watch you find contentment in him. Next thing, angry birds. 
Like the Hulk, you are always angry and have a short temper, right? So Paul says this, right? Um, Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal. Verse 29, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. He's talking about corrupt talk. He's talking about people who cuss when they're angry. Now, there's this whole thing in Christianity, should Christians cuss, right? There's this whole conversation, and the truth is no, sorry. Um, right? But if you, what you, if you look at cussing, what's really interesting about cussing is most of the time cussing is motivated by an emotion, uh, and it's generally anger, right? No one is ever like happily like, oh, darn, right? It's generally you're like, oh, right? And then Christian cussing happens. You're like, oh, farfic noogle, right? Oh, right? So cussing kind of comes out that way. Cussing, uh, grumpy words, these kind of things typically over, are the overflow of an angry heart. And let me tell you why I know this. Because I am the Incredible Hulk, right? My secret is I'm angry all the time. I am a person who is generally, again, you saw me, I furrow my brow. I'm just generally skeptical. I got to work on my own callous heart. I'm just generally uh, an angry kind of person. Now, that doesn't mean you can't approach me and talk to me, but just know that like um, I am always wrestling in my flesh with anger things, right? Um, I've been let down in my life by a lot of people that I've trusted. And what that's taught me is to be a little bit distant to the world and never trusting where people are coming from and their motives. And so that's why when people tell me things, I'm always like, okay, where's this going? Because I'm just waiting for the bottom to fall out and then I'm going to have to protect myself. And so, right, there's this thing, right? And so this is me. I mean, I'm the one who, right here, right? So I just kind of put anger and just like, okay, it's okay. Anger will fuel you. Like I'm the guy who saw Star Wars early on and was like, that Anakin Skywalker kind of has a point, right? Like, (laughs) I understand you, Darth Vader. You wear all black like Santee? I, I am on board with this, right? So, yeah, here's the thing. Here's the problem with angry birds. The calloused idea is that being angry is a bad emotion. So suppress it or self-medicate it to make it go away, right? Oh, I've got this anger. Okay, learn to just be positive and live this kind of bifurcated life and just kind of suppress and self-medicate in any way you can. Spend money, alcohol, whatever, sex, whatever you have to do, just kind of suppress that anger. Keep it down, right? Let the anger fuel you. Good, my child, right? That's the kind of like negotiation we do all the time, angry birds. Here's the renewal idea. Here's the thing we got to take off, right? We got to take this off and go, this isn't lining up with truth. Anger is an emotion that is common to mankind, and Jesus was angry too, right? In John 2, 13 through 25, you ever read this, Jesus goes in, sees people um, basically setting up these Etsy tables inside of a church, trying to sell things that the church would need, and he gets mad at their Etsy tables, he's like, ah, and he like turns over the tables, chases them out of the temple because he said, this is a place of worship, not a place where you're trying to make some extra cash, right? This is what I love about Paul. I'm telling you, I remember being a brand new Christian, reading through Ephesians. Again, I'm an angry 16-year-old kid. I'm angsty. I've got like Nirvana haircut, and I'm skateboarding all the time. I'm like, no one understands me. I'm just going to go play my drums. Right? This is me, right? And I remember reading this. Uh, Paul writes this in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. So he's commanding you, be angry. Hey, you have permission. Be angry. Anger is normal, right? Happiness, sadness, anger, all of these emotions, they're normal. Feel free to be angry. You want to have an angry day? That's cool. You go do you. Go get in a padded room. Just be cool. If you're going to throw stuff, just make sure you think through things. Just, you know, don't be too close to the wall so you throw it and it bounces off, hits you in the face. Like, just think through the physics of everything, right? Go be angry. But here's the thing. Be angry, but do not sin. 
And don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't be someone who's so angry you take it to sleep at night. And so what Paul says, it's okay to be angry, but here's the practice. Believing action is become a peacemaker. In Matthew 5, as Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, listen, um, blessed are the peacemakers. And so I've used this term before. This is actually a term that comes from one of our pastors, uh, Danny Darmus. He says this, Christians should run towards conflict. So if you're angry about something that's over here, don't run away. That's passive. Run towards the conflict. Be a peacemaker. So when Natalie, my wife's name is Natalie, when we were early married, you know, obviously I'm kind of this just volcano person, right? Uh, And I would do things that were dumb. I said dumb things to my wife. Uh, I just, I think out loud. So I would say really dumb stuff and I would hurt her feelings. And one of the practices we started very early in our marriage is we never went to sleep angry, right? Just, just, it was this thing. So there were many nights we're like, and we're early to bed, people, so this is a little bit of a handicap for us, uh, right? Like 8.30 last night, we were out, right? Time change happened. We're like, oh, my gosh, it's 7.30. I can't stay up another hour. Okay, so, right? So early years of marriage, it's like 8 o'clock. We're like, yeah, we're going to have a great night. We're going to go. We're going to party hard till 9 p.m., and then we're going to be out, right? But, you know, we would get into these moments where we were angry with each other, and we would be laying there in bed, and we would just look over and go, we have to fight this out right now. Because I am so tired, I do not want to go to bed angry. And so we had all of these, the best fights in the world are sleepy fights, right? Where you're both falling asleep and you're like, it's not because you're drunk, right? You're just like, you don't even understand. But, but it's not a drunk slur, it's a sleepy slur. You're just like, I, I'm so mad, I can't keep my eyes open. And so you just get to this point where you're like, I'm so tired, I'm, gonna forg- I'm just going to forgive you right now. Like, can, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I'm sorry I was wrong. Let's hug it out, okay, cool, bye. Right? That's what it is. But listen, this is the thing Jesus is saying. If you have an anger problem, listen, anger is normal. That's what you put on. Like, take off the idea that anger is somehow the bad thing. Instead, look for ways to practice forgiveness. Think about all the people in your life who you're angry at and figure out a way to go practice forgiveness. In AA, if you have any friends who go through step programs, one of the steps in Alcoholics Anonymous and some of these other step programs is to go practice forgiveness, reconciliation. Go find people and apologize. There's just something about, in Jesus's wisdom, there's something about being a peacemaker and practicing forgiveness that um, transforms your life. It's what we put on. So let me move through these next ones quickly. Uh, Next one, gossip girls and boys. Gossiping is any time you vent about someone to someone else who cannot be part of the solution. This is gossip. Anytime you talk about someone to someone else and they're not part of the solution, that's gossip. Some of you are like, I need to leave right now because you just called me out on this, right? And not all of you are girls, right? Because we know there are definitely some dudes who love to gossip, right? We just call it like locker room talk. It's totally gossip, right? That's how guys work. So here's the calloused idea. Other people harm me, so I'm going to put them on blast, right? Someone offended me. I didn't like the way someone did something. Someone didn't remake the coffee in the room, right? And you're just like, oh, inconsiderate people. I'm going to, hey, listen. Man, that guy didn't make coffee. And you know what? You know what else about that guy? Yeah, he sucks, right? And you just have like one of these conversations you're mad about, right? And someone's like, I didn't even want to be part of this conversation. You're like, no, you get in here. I'm going to badmouth him. If you don't, I'm going to badmouth you to someone else. Like, just come in here, right? So that's the idea that it's okay for you because someone's harmed you to put them on blast. Here's the renewal idea. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23. Guess what? Lots of people are going to try to harm you. But here's the good news. Jesus is your shepherd. He's going to take care of you. He's got your back. 
People want to harm you? Okay. Jesus is your shepherd. Yeah, the guy who resurrected from the dead and controls the universe. I think you're going to be okay here, right? That's like being on a basketball team with uh, LeBron James and someone like stealing the ball from you on a play and you run back and you're like, man, I'm sorry, LeBron, you stole the ball from me. LeBron's like, I got you, dog, right? And then there's a chase down block, the next thing. I'm really trying to come up with a girl reference. That's like in the Hallmark movies at Christmas when... (laughs) There's like the one person who's really mad to that one girl who you're like, is she going to end up with the banker who she doesn't like? And then she's like, yeah, but Father Christmas is on my side, right? And then she ends up with the banker who you didn't know she liked, and they get married in the end. And then Cameron Candace Bure shows up, and then there's a kiss at the very end. You know who you are watching the Hallmark movies. There you go. So that's the renewal idea. Hey, here, I mean, that's the renewal idea. Here's the believing action. People who struggle with gossip, what Paul says you should do is you should actually practice encouraging one another. Uh, You should practice encouraging one another. Um, He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion. In other words, people who have a problem talking bad about someone to someone else, here's what you should practice. Why don't you talk good about someone to them? Right? So if you have a gossip problem, here's the, the best thing to do this week. Repent that your gossip is incorrect, stand on the side of Jesus, and then figure out some ways to encourage people. Guess what? You will probably not have a gossip problem if you can get into the habit of encouraging. You're going to spend all that energy towards good things. Here's the next one. Uh, Bitter Betty and Bill. Bitter Betty and Bill. I'm going with alliteration there. Being bitter is someone who's jaded, judgmental, grudge-holding, and just a powder in general. You know those people? They're just bitter no matter what. It's always like they're eating sweet tarts all the time. Yeah, or warheads, thank you for that. Paul says in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So the calloused idea here is people have harmed me and I cannot entrust them with my hurt feelings. In other words, because they've harmed me, I can't go and tell them that they've harmed me and try to reconcile and clear the air. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna sit way over here and be like, that person sucks. I'm not gossiping. I feel righteous because I'm not telling anybody else. But me and the Holy Spirit, we are planning their downfall right now, right? Like, Mack truck hits them? Yeah, that could be good if they're crossing the sidewalk downtown. Maybe one of those weird, like, rental scooter things, right? Can we get a line bike situation where they just get run over? Holy Spirit, can you make this happen, right? You're picking up a magic eight ball. You're like, do you work through this? Come on, all right, right? This is bitter people. So the Cal's idea is that here's the renewal idea. Christ has forgiven me. So therefore, the believing action is to practice forgiveness and seeking forgiveness. The idea here is this. Listen, if you're someone who struggles with bitterness and holding on to bitterness in your relationships, the best thing you can do is to go practice forgiveness. To say, listen, I want to talk about this. You hurt me in this way. I could have completely taken it wrong because either I'm thinking this way or I'm thinking this way. Maybe my emotions got in the way and I misread things, right? I'm totally owning the fact that I could have been really petty in this. I want to tell you, though, that there was some friction there, and I don't know what the truth is in this, but I'm just trying to be honest with you. Again, if they want to harm you, Jesus is your shepherd. You're going to be okay. But here's the one thing. You get into a point where you go, I don't care if I'm harmed by this person. I'm going to speak truth and love, and I know Jesus is my shepherd, and I'm going to try to be someone who practices forgiveness. So whether they ever forgive me, I'm going to forgive them. Remember, bitterness is like swallowing poison and hoping the other person dies, right? It never works out. Forgiveness is going, I'm not going to swallow this poison. I'm going to make sure you have good water and I have good water. And if you don't want it, that's fine. But I'm going to drink good water. And that's going to be the way. 
Let me tell you guys one more story just to wrap this up, and then the band's going to come and we'll reflect for a little bit. I want you to notice how this uh, graph, Julia, can you throw the graph on the board, the, the completed graph, the final one, uh, or the tool? I want you to notice how this functions uh, over and over again in the life of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you this story, and I think if you guys have heard it before, you know this. There's a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. Remember this one? And he comes to Jesus and says, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, have you followed all the commandments? In other words, have you, have you understood what truth is? Is the truth of what God's saying hitting you in your heart and in your mind? And he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I practiced all that stuff since I was a child. And Jesus goes, perfect. So you've put off all these old things. That's great. Here's what you lack. Go give everything you have away to the poor and come follow me. And it says the guy walked away because he was very wealthy. Now, what was the issue there? He understood truth. He heard it. And he was putting off all the things that were incorrect. But his giant problem was putting on these new things because he loved his wealth. Secretly at his heart, he knew he was a thief. He loved hoarding things, being greedy, keeping things from people. And the line too far for him was to not practice generosity. See, Jesus understood something about this renewal process. That in order to be not only a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word, it was going to require you putting off these old ways of thinking and feeling. And putting on these new practices of thinking and feeling so that the renewal process of your mind and, and of your heart would take place. So here's a question I want to give to us. And I want to give us 60 seconds to just think about this. Given what you've heard today, what is your next step towards following Jesus? Maybe even with this in mind. Are you someone who hasn't heard truth? And so you need to put yourself in position to be hearing truth. Are you someone who needs to put off uh, a lot of old things, meaning you now know truth, but you need to really think about your emotions and your thoughts and where they're not in line with the way of Jesus. Are you someone who's done that? Maybe you've taken all the stuff off and so you're here, but what you need is just a renewal process to begin believing this, to repent of the old ways and begin believing this. Or maybe the next step for you is to start putting on some of these practices. Maybe you need to go practice forgiveness or be a peacemaker. Maybe you're someone who needs to stop stealing and practice generosity. Maybe you need to stop gossiping and practice encouraging one another or something else. Or maybe you're someone who's been doing this in one area, but you know there's a couple other areas that you need to really work on. What is your next step in following Jesus? I want you to take 60 seconds just to think about that. And then uh, uh, Jason's going to lead us in a song.